Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This segment is brought to you by Jigmaster Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to Jigmasters.com and use promo code PNF20 and save 20% off your next jig order today. You're listening to Bass Fishing for Noobs, the Adam Finn Podcast, with your hosts Ryan Milford and Sean Lambert. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Bass Fishing, Bass Fishing for Noobs segment of the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I am your host, Sean Lavery, and with me as always is my co-host, Ryan Milford. What's up, Ryan? What up? Welcome back. Uh, tonight I'd like to welcome our super special guest. His name is David Swansag, and he is... Uh, oh, I actually let him tell uh, his story, but uh, I heard him first on Alex Rudd's podcast and uh, he has a ton of great information um, uh, about spy baiting. So uh, go ahead, David, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody how you got into uh, the fishing thing and whether you've been doing it all along. Just give us sure. your life story. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just, I'm just going to give you the, the typed version. Um, You know, uh, I actually got into this by, I was standing on the street corner with a sign that said I'd work for food and uh, <laughs> And they just came by, picked me up, and it's been like that ever since. So, um, yeah, I feel sorry for them. Once but, they uh, feed you, you'll never leave. Didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I've had a few meals, trust me. Um, <laughs> the uh, the way I got, I actually got into the industry. It goes, it goes back many, many years, about thirty years. Uh, I started with a. Um, well, I started fishing tournaments and actually trophy hunting and chasing lake records and state records and doing that. Um, that was a big thing for me uh takes a lot of time and dedication and i just kind of liked it it's kind of like i don't know elk hunting with a bow i guess is the best way to describe it and uh and i stayed with that for quite a while and then i got into tournament fishing and did that uh with the Bassmasters uh federation um and up here in oregon we had used to have a uh angler on angler or head-to-head -head kind of competition which was two anglers in the boat competing you get half the day at the front of the trolling motor and then you switch and then the other guy gets it so there's actually a pretty competitive uh circuit and then i've done some stuff and hopped around um on different uh circuits uh last year i fished the costas the year before i fished the costas i've done some co-angling some pro stuff i try to keep my line wet as much as i can so uh but I've been in the industry for quite a while. Uh, a lure designer by the name of Tom Seward, who uh, you guys probably know him, believe it or not. He's the gentleman that invented the hot lips and the speed trap crankbait. 
And folks know that crankbait from many, many, many years ago. Um, <clears throat> it's been a staple in, in the California Delta system for, I mean, it still is. Guys are still buying that, that crankbait. But uh, really, really good crankbait. He was, I would say, 20 or 30 years ahead of his time um, when he was developing. And he was crazy enough to allow me to come alongside of him and, and, uh, and work with him. So I did kind of, if you would, an unofficial apprenticeship through him. But uh, but my my interest has always been fish behavior and and lure action for sure, and then applying that in the real world situation. So I started that. I did some stuff for Lucky Craft, um, some other JDM companies. Uh, worked as a product specialist manager before there was a true name called product specialist manager in the fishing industry um, for Jackal Lures. Did that and then. Uh, uh, came to home uh, with Duo International. So, so far, um, things are going good and we continue to create and they're crazy enough to allow me to open my mouth there. So, uh, um, it's been a fun, it's been a fun journey so far anyways. Well, I've officially not done anything with my life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you just get a line wet every once in a while, you're doing a lot. Trust me. And actually, probably more than I am. Once you get into the fishing industry, you know, they say that you fish a lot less. It is true. Um, I have to fight tooth and nail to get out there. Like, I throw my son into the into the garbage can, put locks on it so he can't escape until <laughs> I get You know, um, no, he actually, he'll go with me every once in a while when he feels sorry for dad. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's been a, it's been a joy, this little journey. I uh, started with uh, spy baiting probably back in, um, I should say, we introduced it about 2011-ish, 12-ish would be the time frame. I can't remember exactly the date time, but um, I, I've, I've probably, you've probably heard me just tell me to be quiet if I say it too much, but the, one of the first places I introduced it was there in Texas. Um, believe it or not, that was one of the very first places. And um, my focal point wasn't so much smallmouth back then. We caught plenty of smallmouth, caught plenty of spotted bass, but I really wanted to focus on on the largemouth um, for this presentation technique. So um, there was quite a bit of time and R&D in that, in that process as well. And uh, Duo actually was one of the Japanese companies that had created one of these prop baits. In Japan, they're called a whole bunch of different things. There's 50 of them out there. Um, a lot of them were designed just for the shore angler or kind of pond hopper. So they didn't have, uh, per se, the right, um, how can you say, the right utility for tournament angling or for what I can say, some serious kind of fishing. So um, Duo uh, refined that process and we came out with lures that were specific to tournament fishing. And I figured if we could knock that out of the park, then the other stuff, uh, the weekend warriors, et cetera, would, would fall in suit. So um, it was a long, long trial. Um, believe it or not, um, people thought that the presentation was absolutely ludicrous and crazy when it first started. Um, you know, it's a three inch tiny little bait. And now we're talking about that winning tournaments, professional tournaments. So um, it's been a, it's been a real cool journey. I'm, I always say this uh, to you guys and others, uh, I really am a fan of, uh, of guys going out and spy baiting and learning how to do that. Um, so I live vicariously through you guys often. You may hear me say, you know, Ryan, show me that picture or that one you got. So I, I do that. I, I, I'll, I'll tag along, follow you around uh, as you guys are doing this. But uh, it's a really, really cool, cool presentation. 
for sure. For for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with spy baiting, can you give us like spy baiting 101, like what exactly you're talking about? Sure, sure. So spy baiting is basically kind of like a countdown method. It's a technique. You're taking a lure and counting it down to a certain depth, and then you're strolling that lure or tracing, or, or in Japan they call it mid-strolling, um, that lure into a column area, and hopefully that's within um, proximity of the fish that you're trying to target. So that's the simplicity of it. The lure actually has two props on it that counter-rotate, and they cause a turbulence to go out the side of the body line, causing a mixture of water behind the bait. And that water is actually a little bit different in density than the waters that is off to the side, left or right of that lure. So as fish get closer to this lure, it triggers the fish behaviorally and continues to do that as they as they detect the lure. Um, it's not a boisterous uh, lure. It's not a boisterous presentation, hence the term um, or the phrase uh, silent capture. It really is a quiet method to sneak a lure into the zone and then have the, uh, the category of stimulus start to start to unfold. Um, and that has to do with some fish behavior and some observations and some other things. So we took this concept of this bait and then turned it into a really refined process. Um, but to simplify it, it's a prop bait that you cast out, let it sink and stroll it through a certain depth. Um, and you don't need to impart action where a lot of lures you do, like a jerkbait, I fish a lot of jerkbaits, I do a lot of different dancing with that jerkbait in order to trigger fish. The uh, the spy bait or the spin bait um, actually has several actions in it that are already built in it. So you'll see it list and it'll just kind of rock back and forth and that actually gives it a different behavior than typical lures. Um, and then if you stop it, it will shimmy as it falls, kind of like, you know, a Sanko. And when you watch a Senko start to fall, it's similar to that. Um, and then, like I said, it'll have some body flash, but it also have the turbulence from the blades. And then also the flash from the blades. The blades um, in most of our models are uh, kind of a dark chrome, not a real, real bright chrome. And the reason is, is we're trying to get a certain type of illumination to take place um, versus just a wide flash. Uh, really, really natural appealing bait. As you, as you stroll it through, the mid column, it just saunters back and forth and it just looks very realistic. And then the profile is that way too. I don't know if I've ever shown you guys uh, this before, but I'll give you a look. Uh, here is one of the, not one of the first, but one of the older models of a spy bait. <laughs> <laughs> and actually uh, in America, we had sinking prop baits and that's what this is. It's a sinking prop bait. Now this thing looks like, I don't know, um, like a Halloween uh, suit with spikes on it. But um, those are all hooks, and that bait actually would sink. It has a propeller on there that, that rotates in the front and back. Um, but that bait right there is kind of like the original uh, concept of a sinking prop bait. How and old is people, that? Huh? How this, old is that? I think this one is like... Uh, I think this one's 1950s, I think. I was wow. going to say, because I've got like a tackle box full of like old lures i'm not yeah. sure how old but they're all old and i got some that like are similar to that so i, I was like like i, I didn't want to say it and sound stupid but like and like be like what i just developed this like you know 15 years ago what are you talking about <laughs> but, but, it looked old but i, I don't want i didn't want to sound stupid 
No, no, no. So early, the early 1900s, these uh, prop baits were coming out, and some were sinking, some were floating, obviously. Um, but things have changed. I mean, here's one that's actually an older version, too. Uh, and I have the dates written down somewhere on these, but this one is actually pretty um, pretty well designed. Uh, it has a fin on the back of it, bent props. The hooks are a little bit uh, large for what we do now, but um, you can see they were thinking back then too, as far as a sinking a sinking prop bait. So we've gone from uh, we've gone from this <laughs> <laughs> to this, and so quite a departure, as you can tell. But uh, but definitely we're headed in the right direction, and it's it's been a proven uh, it's been a proven presentation. So for your listeners that are just beginning. Spy baiting is really that simple as far as a concept. It's a weighted lure, three inches long, approximately. Now, I have several different models for Duo. Um, in fact, I'm coming out with another one this year. So earlier this year, I came out with a, a 100 millimeter, so that's like four inches. And now I'm coming out with another one at the end of summer, too. But, uh, but basically, it's a small prop bait that you cast out, let it sink, and then you actually stroll it through. So when it gets to be a difficult technique is when you start to think of it and how, how, how to apply it to um, your tournament fishing or how to apply it to big fish. And that's when it starts to get a little bit um, techy, so to speak. But the basic concept is pretty easy. And excuse me, and guys are taking these baits and, and departing from spy baiting per se and just throwing it on at everything. You know, the bird goes by and they go ahead and cast it at the bird. I mean, they're doing all sorts of different things. Um, with it, I, I met some guys in uh, Gunnersville that actually use a very thick diameter line, um, and then they atti attach the spy bait to it, and they're strolling it on the surface or just below the surface um, on the grass beds, and they're catching fish doing that. And so, um, so guys are experimenting with it a lot of different ways, but it has a proven track record of winning many, many tournaments. I mean, many tournaments. Uh, from Canada all the way down into uh, Mexico. In fact, a few years ago, one of the big South African bass tournaments out there, I forget the exact name of it, but they hold it and invite other other uh, entities uh, regionally as well as from other countries to this tournament. But that was one spy baiting as well. So uh, it's had some it's it's had some success and some history behind it for sure. Well. Let's talk a little bit about like how you use it or, or a little more. I know we touched on it a little bit. Um, okay, so you said you cast it out, you let it sink to whatever your desired, you know, depth, and then you know, pretty much just wind it in. Like you, it, yeah, that's all you really got to do. Yeah, because the actions are, and, and this is where it gets a little tricky. You know, guys, um, and I've had guys in the boat with me, and I'm teaching them. They've actually flown out to fish with me because they're pretty serious pros and and uh, they wanted to learn all the little nitty gritties to it and when I start talking about some of the simplicity that you're just keeping your rod still and you're retrieving the line in you're just incorporating the line in um, and, a, and a slow steady or slow moderate retrieve you're doing that they I almost lose them right there they're like wait a minute you know aren't you supposed to jerk you know the rod aren't you supposed <laughs> to the line and Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high-quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. 
If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com So you start to lose people there. And what I'm getting at is it's that's more of a mental thing. Uh, it is a slow uh, presentation. So guys get a little frustrated with that. But the rewards are huge. I mean, big fish. I, 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 I don't know how many... It's over 200 people um, in the last probably year and a half, maybe two years, that have private messaged me, called me, saw me at a show, that have said that they've caught their personal best, you know, doing this presentation. So, nice. I mean, it, it's unprecedented uh, on that level. And like I said, it over a million. I didn't mention that, but over a million dollars has been won on the tournament trail with this presentation and and this lure in particular. So. Um, it's, yeah, it's a firecracker when it comes to that, but guys just have to think about the presentation, um, keeping it simplistic because it's already doing the work for you. Some key tips I can give guys is as you start to develop, uh, and become a spy baiter, you really want to start thinking about where your fish are. I mean, really trying to get cerebral about where your fish are during a cer certain seasonal trend, for example. Pre-spawn, they're not going to necessarily be up in the flats in the shallow water. They may be adjacent to that area. So, so it may be rock piles or, or broken off road beds or something that get them to that area before they go up and spawn. So you want to target those areas just like you would um, with another lure you know, or, or, or your favorite lure. But looking at how fish position is going to help you um, also when you spy bait. You're catching suspended fish for the most part. Or fish that are off the bottom for the most part. And I've done quite a bit of research on those fish. They their visual acuities actually seems to be higher. Their their alertness seems to be higher. They actually can see more in their um, in their visual plane than if they're tucked away underneath the dock or they're in a weed bed or they're in lily pads or or you know down against the bottom and current. Um, they lose their angles. Uh, and so when they do suspend, for example, um, 12 feet off of 20, uh, they tend to be able to see quite a bit without very much movement. So this tiny little bait coming into their area um, seems to make a huge appeal. And then when they get close enough to it again, it starts to stimulate them behaviorally. Um, a key that a guy can also uh, focus in on is the cast. Um, I think the cast is pretty critical in spy baiting. It's not just casting at your target. I always tell guys you want to cast beyond your target because the lure is designed to, again, kind of sneak into the area. So, you know, you may throw topwater right on top of a tree clump and start working it. But that is because you're trying to draw attention to that to that area. So that makes a lot of sense. But in spy baiting, if you throw on top of your area, you may actually miss your fish as the bait moves away from that from that area. So you always want to go past it. And you won't know. I mean, I I, I, I joke about this, but I'm, I'm half serious. There are a handful of pros that um, I couldn't get them past the learning curve because they weren't casting the lure past their target area. And so it, as simple as that seems, uh, we are, as anglers, tend to be really target oriented. It's really nice and easy when we cast to the tree stump or we can't skip the jig underneath the, the dock. We got that part because we're real target oriented. But when you start thinking about casting beyond, and I tell guys, 
think about it like this, cast 30 or 40 feet beyond your target. And the reason why I say that, because then it gives you a whole bunch of time to line everything up and start your retrieve back into the, into the zone where the fish are. Um, the other thing I get with guys is that, you know, like, again, they, they don't have a lot of time. Maybe, maybe they're, they're tournament fishing right now and they just heard about spy baiting. So I talk with those guys about, um, cause it is a, it really is a big fish, uh, presentation. So with those guys, I say, you know, split the difference on your cast. So if you've got a, um, stump of a tree that was cut off way back in the day and it's laying on the bottom of the lake in 20 foot of water, but the stump comes up like eight feet and you want to stroll that bait just above that stump for those suspended fish, then you're going to kind of split that depth is basically what you're doing. You don't have to do it exactly, but at 20 feet, I tell the guy to, to fish somewhere around 10 or 12 feet, something in that zone. The fish can see that bait from there and they can move to it if they want it. The next cast, you may want to be down a foot off the bottom and strolling through that same zone. So in two casts, you can really pick away your uh, your or pull away your 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 uh, your target pretty good and and start to dissect that. Um, it's a lot easier than when you start thinking about positioning with a jig, for example. You may throw a jig at the front of the tree, then you then you roll your boat around and you get back behind the bushes and you go on the back side of the tree. Not with spy baiting because you're going past the target and then strolling it in. So you can really dissect things in a couple casts, which is nice. Now, uh, as far as letting it sink, um, with, with spy bait, is it like a one foot per second thing to kind of determine how deep you're letting it go? Sure, sure. Yeah, so basically speaking, it's a foot per second on most of the models. Now, some of that is different between the models, but... If you are counting a foot per second and you give and take six inches or eight inches, you're going to be okay. You'll be right in there, especially when you're fishing um, what I call deeper fish. Um, and when I talk about deep, I lose guys there too. Like I'll, I'll start talking about depth. Like, you know, to me, 20 feet is not really that deep <laughs> um, for me as a fisherman. So, you know, I'll... 30 feet starts to get into depth to me, but um, 20 feet is really not that deep. And guys will tell you, whoa, that's deep. That's pretty deep. But all you got to do is stand on the front end of your bass boat and look back. <laughs> and that's 20 feet, basically, on a, on a standard bass boat, you know, including the engine. So it's really not that deep. Um, so it may take you a little bit to get down there. You make a cast. It may take you 10 or 12 seconds to get there or 8 seconds to get there if you have a faster falling one. But once you're there, it's not it's it's not that it's it's pretty painless. One of the things that appealed to me about this is uh, I'm I'm still learning bait casting. I I I've been spinning rod for the long as long as I can remember. In the past year or two, I've really picked up bait casting, and I'm getting okay with it. But um, the fact that you can throw this on spinning gear, uh, I know uh, I think you said the G Fix was made for more for bait casters, but it still can be thrown on spinning gear. I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Hmm. So. So we have several models, but for example, we have a 80 and an 80G fix, and those two can be thrown on spinning rods, and both of those will cast a country mile. I mean, that little bait uh, with the G fix model, I think I, when I was doing linear tests, um, even with a slight, you know, one or two mile hour wind crosswind, we were still hitting 100 to 130 feet. Um, with that on six pound test. So you can cast pretty far with that tiny little bait. Um, 
And then you get into the other models, which are the 90 and the 72 came after the 90, but the 72 and the 90 and the 100. And those are really set for the bait casters. So the guys that um, really will not pick up a spinning rod. And, <laughs> and I know a few of them, trust me. <laughs> I, I don't unless I have to. You know, I carry one spinning combo with me, you know, for Ned rigs or whatnot, but I rarely pick it up. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it's really true. I mean, I, I remember one of my first uh, Bassmaster classics that I was attending a, uh, with a company. I was perplexed to how many guys did not pick up a spinning rod. No, we don't do that. I was like, wow. <laughs> so, um, so, but I get it too. Some of those guys are very, very proficient with a baitcaster, and they've got it down. They can do it with their eyes closed, and um, including trick casting. Those, some of those guys are phenomenal with a baitcaster. So, so I do get it. But uh, I think with this technique, um, with this, the more that you can get to the finesse side of spy baiting, um, and some guys are now calling it power finesse, but. The more you can get moved to the finesse side of spy baiting, it only helps you when you pick up the baitcaster. It really does. It's once you once you learn, and like I tell guys, they'll ask me all the time, you know, what lure would you learn if I could just pick one lure? What which one would it be? The G fix, uh, 80 G fix would be perfect. Six pound test, uh, six and a half, seven foot rod. You can use your drop shot rod to do this. Um, you don't have to go out and and, and and get a high-end rod and a high-end reel um, for this. Now, I do, but I'm pretty retentive, so uh, so I raise my right hand and tell people that in advance. Um, but you can start out with a drop shot, a simple drop shot rod. I do recommend that you get a good, a very good quality line. It makes a world of difference in the long haul. So if you, if you are a fluorocarbon guy and you really do like fluorocarbon um, and you you know, work towards those fluorocarbon uh, brands that actually are on the high end side. It 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 really does pay off in the long haul. In the long haul, I I invented a a line presentation years ago called tee shotting, and that's using a 25 foot to 35 foot fluorocarbon leader, and um, I use that quite a bit in my jerkbait fishing because that that amount of fluorocarbon, which is awfully heavy, it's super heavy and compared to braid, and it's still significantly heavy and compared to um, nylon six or monofilament, um, would sink and that, that belly would kind of swoop downward and that would actually pull in line my jerkbait. And I can feel fish touch my jerkbait, where when I use braid, I couldn't feel anything if I had one inch of slack in there, could not feel that. Or if I used uh, monofilament and I had the bow going the opposite way and the bait was pulled into me and the bow was kind of subsurfaced and up on top of the surface, um, I, I felt a lot, a lot less uh, fish during that process too. So fluorocarbon to me seemed the way to go. I applied T-shotting to, uh, to spy baiting too. And now more and more guys are using braid to leader. Um, 15 years ago, it wasn't so. Um, you know, guys were saying, oh, I use a leader and I'd ask them how long and they'd say, well, here it is. And it, it would be, you know, two feet. And they would say, I, and I'm saving a whole bunch of money on my fluorocarbon. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so I think guys now have really moved to, to the longer leaders and understand, uh, the benefit to that, but that fluorocarbon will actually work to pull the bait in line, straighten the bait and pull it in line. So if you do use a braid to leader connection, I recommend using a longer one. Also, you know, the longer the, the leader, you can get the knot incorporated into the spool, 
while you're fighting a fish. So you're not fighting between knots. And I have had knots slip before, rarely, but I've but I have had them do it. Or they bump the guide a bunch of times on the high end during the during the uh, inertia, and um, and sometimes that wears them out as well. So uh, the longer leader seems to seems to help alleviate some of that, anyways. Now, I think also if you're making these crazy long casts, the le the more invisible line you have, probably the better. Yes. Um, you know, uh, guys will ask me, what size line do I use? When I'm when I'm <clears throat> really into it and I'm just going to spy bait for the next three days, um, I have five pound. It's a JDM fluorocarbon called R18. It's made by Seaguar. We don't get it in the U.S., but the equivalent to that or derivative of that would be um, Seaguar Tatsu. Um, that's that's our U.S. side of the Seaguar, and it's the highest uh, highest quality that uh, we have in the U.S. So um, Tatsu, I would use, but it only comes in like six and eight, you know, twelve kind of increments. Um, the R18 comes in those in those opposite sides or those or those in between sizes. So I use five to seven in R18, but um, but I'll use five pound, and like I said, I'll use a seven. Well, I use a seven six rod, uh, pretty nice reel, and I'll go to town with my with my spin bait 80, uh, and I'll fish like that for three days straight if I need to. I couldn't imagine trying to fight like a big bass on five pound test. I'd be so scared. <laughs> well, you may, yeah, you make a good you make a good point. In fact, some guys when I was talking to them, well, what size line do you use? And I'd say I use I really use five to six ninety percent of my time. I'll bump up because I want to be able to give the guys the right information. Um, so, or if I'm using a bait caster, I'll go up into the seven, eight, nine, ten pound range, twelve pound range. But for the most part, spinning application, I'm five and and six, and I like five pound even better. Um, it seems like it's like it's really light, but you would be amazed how much pressure it takes to break four pound test. Now I'm not talking about shock factor, which is different, but I'm talking about just straight pull and strain. It takes quite a bit. I mean, and if you have the right rod, a soft rod then um, that rod really helps you manage that line. I have rods that I that are specific to uh, two and a half to three pound uh, line, fluorocarbon, that I use for bass fishing. They're bass rods that actually handle 2.1 uh, or, I mean, 2.2 uh, to 2.5 to three pound line. Um, and I'll fish finesse uh, presentations with that. But really it comes down to having the right uh, the right rod to, to absorb some of that. If you have a real stiff rod, then you're going to pop that line swinging on those fish. So we're talking like a moderate action rod or just a, a like a faster tip? Uh, yeah, least. you know, um, well, faster tip, if you can get away with it, it's a little bit harder with the uh, the U.S. Um, models. They're getting better and better, um, especially in the last about 10 years. We're starting to see more fast, extra fast tips that are medium and medium light uh, powers on them. So it's not as common. You have to kind of go look for them, um, but you can find them out there now. So they are coming about. They're, guys are doing that. And our actions are a little bit different than the Japanese actions. So what we may think is extra fast may be um, just fast over in Japan. So it kind of depends on, on the materials used, et cetera. But but yeah, I, I look at a spinning rod for spinning application. I, I'll look at a reel that's like in the 2,500 to 3,000 range, um, six pound Tatsu, 
and then the rod will be six and a half to seven and a half feet on a standard, and it'll be basically a drop shot rod, um, you know, that actually gives. So the medium action to medium light action. And you really do want this. Uh, here's the reason why. You guys are going to be making these long casts, and at the end of these casts, you roll you roll the reel handle twice, and all of a sudden the fish loads up on the rod. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Well, now you've got the what I call, you got the fish lined out, and usually those fish are just under the surface. Well, if you've been fishing long enough, you know that you put tension on a fish that's just under the surface, which way are they going to go? Up. They're going to go up. You know, that's where they go. They don't, they hardly <clears throat> ever go down. It's almost like they know I'm going to make David's life miserable. So they start <laughs> jumping right away. Um, that softer rod absorbs that. Uh, while they're out there. So it gives that tethering, and I call it a rubber band effect. So a rod that is soft will allow all that business out there way far away for you to happen. And after you sweat and bleed a little bit in shock, you can turn around and see that your fish is still attached to the to the lure. And that's where that really um, pays off. A lot of guys, when they first started spy baiting, even on the Bassmaster Tour, were using quite stiff rods. Um, and in drop, I should say in drop shotting, some of those guys have moved to longer sticks that are are, are heavier actions, unfortunately. So because they're doing a lot more vertical um, drop shotting, they're dropping on targets, bumping the fish, and then setting the hook this way, high posting. And so some of them are using a little bit stiffer rods. Uh, but those softer actions really, really help keep that fish um, um, connected, and you 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 lose less fish doing that. That makes a lot of sense. The the rod does the work, the, so the line doesn't have to take the stress of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I think about spy baiting, I, like I, I say this too, and um, it is <laughs> it is the most easiest, most difficult technique to learn. <laughs> and I, I I just say that because it it really is true. But for a newbie or for a guy just getting into fishing or just kind of you know hungry about learning techniques. It's really an ideal technique for them because if they learn that now, the the progression or the learning curve falls uh, really quickly. They they can get around it pretty quick. The guys that have a harder time are those guys that have been out there for 20 years that refuse to do things right. So they get stuck in their ways. Well, then spy baiting gets to be part of, part of that list of uh, refusal as well. So they'll have a little bit harder time. And and the learning curve is pretty long. Uh, it's from one month to you know. I think my longest has been about eight months, and that's not every day, obviously. But um, that's guys keeping and keeping keeping on, trying to try it and and get acquainted with it. So some guys learn it real quick. Other other guys, uh, it takes some time. But the guy that is uh, brand new to the game, um, or is really hungry about learning, uh, he'll get it probably quicker than I would for sure. They're interested in that. So if you tell them to sit stay, they sit stay because they know it has a benefit. You tell an old-timer to sit, stay, and he'll look at you cross-eyed, get angry at you. Well, you know, you know, just listening to you talk about it, I'm interested in it simply because the less I have to uh, trust myself to to do something, the 
better off I am, you know, let it do the work for me. I think my biggest issue with it uh, would probably be, you know, finding the fish, knowing exactly where they are, and then casting past them and, like, knowing exactly where I'm casting. Oh, like, like the cast zone where I need yep. to cast for and casting past it and everything. Yeah. Figuring that out, you know, I think I'd be fine with, you know, let letting it sink and then just reeling yeah it's uh you but you bring up a really good point um that's part of it what i call discipline you know guys will tell me all the time hey man i just need to get confidence with the technique and i and i and i gently discourage them from from thinking that way uh there really isn't a necessity for confidence in this presentation it's execution um as as accurate and as efficient as you can get casting that lure and keeping your rod tipped down, letting the line break surface tension, and rolling your rolling your reel handle over at a slow, medium speed. The more disciplined you get with that, you actually shoot the odds up much higher to catch the fish. It's when when you don't catch the fish is when you're feeling like you have to do everything with that spin bait. I'm going to throw it over here and rip it real quick, or I'm going to just buzz it along the surface, or I'm going to and you start trying to find options. You actually take yourself way out of the game, way out of the game. So. So that's kind of the cool thing about it is the guys that um, that take on this uh, this challenge, they if, if they can just kind of sit and be good to themselves, know that the cast is is really critical. I got to make a good cast, get my line to sink, and then I'm gonna apply that everywhere I go, whether I go to Florida, or I go to Tennessee, or I go to Texas. And I've I've spy baited uh, so many different places in the nation. Um, I was told one time at a show. And and he's a friend now, but um, but he, he at the time he came up to me and he said, hey, listen, David, uh, tell me a little bit about spy baiting. So I gave him the rundown, and then he said, man, this sounds like a pretty good technique. When I go up to like smallmouth world, I think I may employ it. I said, no, 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 this thing is you can catch some big largemouth doing this. One of my big largemouth is almost 12 pounds or around 12 pounds. So um, I've caught some big fish doing this. And he kind of looked at me and said, well, we don't, you can't do that in Florida. I said, no, you can. You can, you can spy bait in Florida. And he said, well, I don't want to fill you full of uh, any hopes or dreams, but I'm just going <laughs> to tell you realistically, it doesn't happen in Florida. And he walked away. Three years later, he came up to me and he says, hey, you remember me? And I go, no. And it was at, a, it was at like a iCast or a, or, a, or a Bassmaster Classic. And he says, well, I'm the guy who told you you were full of blankety blank. When uh when you told me that you could spy bait in Florida, and I was like, oh no, here we go. This is gonna be another heated conversation. And he goes, <laughs> and I was wrong. He goes, I've won two tournaments spy baiting in Florida. I think it was Toho that he was doing it. And what he was doing was he was he was he knew where his topography was. He knew where the trees were, the laydowns were, where the cuts and the channels were in the grass. What where the water went from shallow to deep, where there was clean water and where there was grassy water. He knew all that stuff where he was fishing. And uh, he went behind guys that were using an A-rig and cleaned up behind them. So they'd use the A-rig, they'd get a couple fish, they'd keep going down the bank, and he'd get those fish. And the reason why he's getting those fish is because an A-rig and some other baits, like a big old 14-inch swim bait will do this too, it'll actually pull fish from their from their location. So uh, you you can throw the bait and 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 you'll see the draw effect on some of those baits just literally pulls those fish out of position and then they get out and around 
off of their topography. Well, those fish are now suspended, kind of looking around. And uh, and he 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 took advantage of that, clear advantage of him, won two tournaments in Florida spy baiting. And I mean, when we say when I say win, I mean he had like seven pound fish that were eating this bait. So nice. um, yeah, he he put it together. Now I was gonna ask, I, I don't I don't think you've touched on this yet, but uh, you may have. I Anyways, um, is there like a specific like water clarity that you kind of want for this technique? Yeah, so um, to help guys get um, to a place where they were going to be comfortable with spy baiting, I kept everything clear water, everything. I just said, listen, crystal clear water, blue skies, um, That's those are really finesse ops, and, uh, and, and you really want to pay attention to that. And that is true. That's, that's 80% of the game. But you can spy bait in dirty water. I mean, you really can. There's some there's some keys to that, like knowing exactly where the fish are. For example, if I know the fish are up against a stump in a stump row in a creek channel that the visibility is only um, six inches, I'm going to probably be able to catch those fish because I know exactly where they are. The bait does some things sonically that also happen. So the acoustics on that lure call fish out as well. So low light conditions, you can catch you can catch fish on it. For sure. Um, but to really learn the technique, I say, you know, go back to clear water, ultra finesse um, opportunities, and then that way you get dialed in. But I'll give you an example. I was out on the river one time on the Columbia River, and that's a pretty big river. I fish about um, 300 miles of it, and uh, it's like 1,200 mile river. But uh, I was out there for two days straight um, fishing. Well, my last day, I was coming back in, and the sun had gone down, and and uh, I marked some fish that were in about 24 foot of water. But the way they were acting, they just didn't look like, you know, uh, like perch. And so they, they, I could see some striations taking off. So it was almost like they were feeding on something. So I swung back around and I just kind of turned off my electronics. I knew about where the school was. And I just waited it for, I just waited a couple minutes, just let everything quiet down. And then I made a cast, let it count down to about 20 feet. And I strolled that bait through, and it was cast after cast after cast. I caught smallmouth after smallmouth, and the sun had gone down. What I'm getting at is I usually don't catch fish on the Columbia River at nighttime. I usually don't. So, uh, so, and I've been out there to, to do that. I just don't usually get them. So these fish were suspended in that 20-foot zone, and I was able to count that bait down and stroll it through them, and they ate it. I mean, they ate it. Every time I brought it through, they, they, they bit it. So, so yes, clean Clear water presentation, finesse um, ops are, are, are important. But once you master the technique, then you can start to sneak off and start fishing um, dingy water uh, or, you know, targets that are in dirty water. Um, and even we get into when's the greatest time to start spy baiting. Well, I like to spy bait early in the year, but you know as well as I do that there's a lot of different presentations that work for pre-spawn. You can throw a jig, right? You could pick up a jig for the next if it's pre if it's pre-spawn, you could pick up a jig for the next month and not touch another lure and have a great time with just a jig. So pre-spawn, there's plenty of opportunities to fish different ways. But I start spy baiting around that because sometimes I'm looking for those bigger fish. So I'll catch maybe the two pounders in the area. Well, before I leave that area, I will actually spy bait through there and see if I can get a big fish out of that with that tiny little lure because they the, those suspended fish will actually eat it in the spring 
or the post pre pre spawn. Sorry, and then spawn. I'll fish it, and then post spawn. I'll fish it, because now we have a hatch, you know, going on, and we have we have little uh, little fingerlings in the water, and we've got bait in the water, and then summertime we've got bait and secondary predators in the water, and so summertime I'll fish it, and then fall bait starts to concentrate again, and I'll fish it in the fall. Wintertime I have caught fish rarely on it and i know exactly why i caught those fish so i have to say that i kind of give up about wintertime spy baiting because i can't seem to get on them on a consistent basis so i may find a perch school for example sitting on a mud flat in about 24 foot of water well i know i could probably spy bait that group <clears throat> and maybe do and maybe catch a couple fish but there's other ways that i can actually fish for those winter fish blade you know bladed or 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 drop shot or something so winter time i tend to to depart um from spy baiting but pre-spawn spawn post-spawn summer or early summer uh, mid-summer and then and then the transition from summer to fall and then into fall i kind of break up my seasons in twos and threes basically but during that time frame, I'm I'm on it if I can for sure. You mentioned uh, fishing rivers. Do you do anything different in current uh, than you would say if you were in a lake with not a, a ton of current? Or yeah, you know I joke about this too. I say you know if, if you're fishing current, keep running, <laughs> don't stop, <laughs> because the lure will probably tumble right or it'll sink down, and so you'll make your cast. And you'll get to the depth that you want, so you're going to let it sink down, and then you you basically are kind of keeping on a semi-tight line as it's sinking, and then you just start moving it in. If you let it go slack all the way, it may go down and then hit current, different current pressure, and rotate or do something and get onto the bottom. So I'll I'll keep a little bit more line control on current, but I don't do too much of anything being different. I'm just making sure that I'm in contact with my lure. So I'll re roll the reel handle over a little bit and keep a little bit of semi-tight line, let it sink and then start my retrieve just so that everything's lined out. Cause current's gonna push the bait to me, for example. Now I also fish the reverse. So I fish, you know, into current. So I'll bring the bait. Once I do that, the bait just sits there and hovers in the current. So it'll just kind of do this in the current. I can stop retrieving even, and it'll just sit there and hover because of the pressure that's coming across the across the bait. So um, what I say, if you're going to fish that way in current, you want to make sure that you use a very, very slow retrieve because the bait is fighting the current. So it's climbing. If you force that, it may rise. The bait may actually rise and take you out of the column. But by just slowly retrieving, you can kind of keep it in that one zone. See, when you were initially talking about it, like, I was thinking, like, yeah, you can't fish that in a river. And so now you got me even more excited. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a, uh, you know, guys would say, yeah, this is for, you know, going into a cove on a giant lake and like Clear Lake or something and catching fish when they're busting on shad. There was guys that were deferring to it in that way. Uh, but I was explaining to them that you could fish in the current. They kind of look at me and go, really? You can fish this in the current? The only thing you have to do is just make sure it doesn't tumble. So I was saying this in theory to all these guys. Now, I, I fished in the current all the time, so I already knew. I mean, I, one time I had my uh, video crew out with me, and I put like 40 fish in the boat, um, cast after cast or almost cast after cast. I hit it just perfect. I strolled the bait just perfect, and, and I couldn't mess up. Um, 
Now, I made it home late that night, and my wife got mad at me. But, <laughs> but it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, it was worth it, yeah. I mean, take your whooping when you can, man. But uh, but it was worth it. The uh, the But fishing that way in the current was really kind of um, – it was really illuminating for my filming crew. Those guys were like, whoa, I, I couldn't believe that you were doing that. You were lining everything up and still catching them. So a very famous guy uh, spy baited in a tournament in 2017. You all know him. And uh, he won $120,000, and he was actually spy baiting in current. I don't know if people knew that watching him, but I could tell how he was, how the boat was moving, that he was lined up in current. And uh, and he was keeping the bait moving, and he was whacking, I think he 6'2 or 6'4 um, that one tournament. I think the last day he caught the biggest uh, biggest fish of the tournament. But anyways, you guys know him as KVD, but he 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 dabbled <laughs> into spy baiting too and, and, uh, and had one of his most epic um, – um tournaments ever i mean uh uh for smallmouth and he'd been on that system for what 20 years so it was really cool watching now he's a phenomenal angler so he could probably pick up any bait and catch fish right but when he decided to uh lock down on that on that particular presentation um he was pretty surgical with it even in the current i mean he dialed down pretty quick and then a year later, you know, uh, a friend of mine, Chad Gripsy, won as well. Um, and he won on a tour event and, and knocked it out of the park, almost 100 pounds of smallmouth. And the majority of those were, were spy baiting. So. Now, are these sold in, like, Academy and Bass Pro and all that? Because I've never looked for them, but I've, I don't think I've yeah. ever seen them. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, so um, it's always been a goal of mine... Uh to really get them in the mom and pop stores. Uh, and the reason why is I know those folks, some of these stores, you know, it's their retirement. It's kind of been their dream. Um, so I do take that to heart. So my focal point has been uh, with our company to, to really cater those guys and give them something that maybe is not really common. You know, it's not out there everywhere. And, and, and just kind of spoil them. The lures are expensive, obviously, at 14 bucks I between 13 and 14 bucks but but at the same time it's uh, it's it's more of kind of a heartfelt piece for me to try to get these stores to have uh first shot at them and 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 it also makes their relationship with their customers I think more enriched anyways when you can bring them a, a quality bait so that's where my focal point has been um there's some disadvantages to big box stores but um, I mean, obviously, we're not opposed to it, but we've just really tried to concentrate on on doing the best we can uh, to help those those mom and pop stores out. So I'm still so, waiting uh, on my uh, tackle warehouse order. So it's it's supposed to be here Thursday, and I think I ordered it like two weeks ago or something. So oh yeah, yeah. Tackle, <laughs> tackle warehouse is a good. You know, another good store, um, if you don't mind me saying, is uh, Carolina Fishing Tackle. It's a JDM store. Like they have all this exotic Japanese um, uh, bait and gear. And so if you really like to peruse that stuff, it's a great store to do that. The guy that started that store 
Um, I think he used to work in NASCAR or something, if I remember correctly, but really, really great guy. And he just loves lures. Like he's like a kid. He doesn't even fish that much, but he, he'll see a lure. Whoa, I really like this. And he'll bring it out and he'll display it. And so it's really kind of a cool passion of his, but, um, his name's Doyle Myrick and he owns the, uh, Carolina fishing tackle. And, and it's a, it's a, it's a knockout store by the way, but um, that that would be one of the mom and pop stores. Um, Tackle Warehouse is a good online. But if the guys need any, I, I you know I can dig up lists for them. We can find stores for them for sure. Cool. Um, how about um? I know uh, you. I, is there anything different you would say about uh, fishing from a kayak? Because most of our audience is tends to lean toward kayak fishing or or at least small craft fishing. So sure, sure. You know, um, and I break this up into segments too. You know, fishing from the shore. There were some advantages when I used to fish from the shore that um, that I applied to my bass boat fishing later on. The fact that I could get up on high points of land and look at topography, I could see fish and how fish position. So just fishing from the bank, um, I use that to my advantage. I may have to do a lot of walking, but um, I was able to eye spy places that maybe I would have never been able to hit um from you know or or understand from a bass boat if i started out that way so it gave me um a great amount of respect for topography and how topography transitions into water and reading that um versus you know my my electronics per se but i always say my first boat um my first boat was a pair of nikes man that was my first boat (laughs) So, so so i get it um, small crafts uh, like the kayak, I think uh, spy baiting is almost ideal for kayak fishing because, one, you have a tiny bait that you can cast anywhere. So it doesn't matter where you are on a body of water, you can cast that bait effort- effortlessly. And, you know, from a kayak, you have a lower trajectory. So um, that bait being heavy and narrow pierces pierces the air effectively so you can do low low trajectory casting without much of uh without much change at all so that bait you can cast it from several different angles so it makes it um ideal for uh kayak fishing in my opinion the other thing about that is you know i say the guys that fish out of kayak and i fished out of them a couple times not a whole bunch but and i've had some good days but you know setting the hook um having uh your i guess your core is it in a kayak is different than when you're standing on your feet on a bass boat deck, right? Oh, yeah. I can lock my legs and my hips and I can turn my shoulders in a certain way and maximize my hook set. In a kayak, you really have to you really have to kind of prep yourself and get yourself ready. Your core is positioned a lot different. You don't have all that underneath you um, effectively <clears throat> unless you're standing up. And even then, um, you've got um, a distribution on the water from the from the from the keel that changes that and absorbs that energy. So so for kayak guys, spy baiting may be an ideal in that regard, that you're not having to swing on these fish real hard and heavy. You're just reeling as fast as you can, letting the rod load up, and then putting the heat on them afterwards versus taking a big swing um, to set the hook. So you don't have to play the steel to them like that. Uh, you can allow the hooks to penetrate by just keeping line tension on them and a little bit of a reel seat hook set so uh i think it plays uh, it plays uh perfectly to the kayaker for sure awesome um go ahead ryan you were you gonna say i was gonna say like like yeah uh with a in a kayak you kind of gotta you know to get like a strong hook set you kind of gotta lean forward and then do 
that motion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, I, I, you know, you, you guys are in the kayaks a lot more than I am, I'm sure. But, but you, all that, you, you don't have your, you don't have your hip, hips to tie you in the same because your legs yeah. are, your legs are out in front of you. So you just distributed your weight and your and your muscle mass differently. So you got to do so much um, from your torso. So you're absolutely right. Um, but it makes it, it it makes it easier, I think, uh, spy baiting from the water level too, because you can sidearm cast. You know what I mean, if you want to. Um, and so you could probably, in my opinion, I would argue you could probably place a spy bait a little bit better in tight in tight situations too, just by feathering the spool and doing sidearm casting. So um, you may be able to split some uh, some uh, some cover really easy, uh, or much easier than the guy that's standing up on the on the bass boat for sure. And speaking of cover, I remember you uh, talking a little bit, uh, hearing you talk about before. Um, uh, you're, you are throwing a treble hook bait, so uh, but and you actually mentioned even potentially taking off the trebles and, and ca just casting it and learning how it feels, and so you don't get hung up as much or uh, lose anything. Absolutely, that idea came from I was getting a bunch of guys um, tournament fishing that were like, "Man, I bought three of these and I lost all three. <laughs> and so. Um, I only had certain amount of uh, spy baits even in my tackle box. So, so I started telling guys, listen, um, and I used to do this anyways, but I, I, I told them if you take the, if you take the split ring and the hook off the bait, you'll still get the bait action. Um, you'll be able to thread the needle, so to speak. You put that bait anywhere you want to in cover. And it may be that you get bit right down the center of cover, right? And, you know, you put it in a tree and you get bit in the middle of the tree. Well, then you know you're probably not going to get that fish spy baiting. You may want to try to approach that fish differently. But if you're getting eaten 5, 6, 12 feet from the tree, then you can start to really get yourself dialed in to where you want to be um, when, you, when you put the treble hooks on. So the spy bait then becomes... Um, um, kind of part of your tooling for just getting yourself ready and you don't lose those baits. However, when you do have the treble hooks on and it's tournament time, and I'll use this example, and let's say that you're fishing a uh, uh, erosion rock that kind of comes out and then flattens out and you're fishing on that erosion rock. Well, treble hooks, if you put that spy bait down close to the rocks, it's that the first treble is going to catch the rock because they're on the bottom. So what you want to do in that case is when you know you're committed to that type of uh, cover, go ahead and drag the lure through the water, and you'll see the hook point that is sitting at the bottom of the lure, so, so like this. And then take your pliers and bend that hook point up against the shank. And now it becomes a bumper to get over rock because that's the first place that that lure will meet. So you can now negotiate that, that that type of cover and get it over. And I did this by 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 accident one day. I was actually fishing a flat, and I was using a crankbait on the flat, and I was catching fish like one out of every four or five casts. I'd catch a good fish. Those are tremendous odds, anyways. And uh, I went back through with a with a uh, with a spin bait. And it was every single cast on the same populace of fish I was getting bit and fighting fish, except the ones where I actually hooked the rock. So then I had to go up and shake it, shake it off the rock. So quickly, the first thing I did was clip off that hook point. Well, the only problem with that is it doesn't give you 
everything. It doesn't get. It makes the hook a little bit weaker. Um, it doesn't have the integrity. And if I wanted to, I can bend that hook out when I put it up against the shank. So I lose that op opportunity if I clip it. So I started bending it, creating a bumper, and then I could bump along that cover, get it over, negotiate that cover. And then if I'm done, I just really easy, lightly um, move that hook back out, and it becomes um, part of the hooking up uh, ratio that I used to have. So uh, that's how I do it to negotiate that kind of cover, rocks and, and trees. Awesome. Yeah, I you know uh, I could I I could talk to you guys all night long on this. I, you know, I just want to go out and try it. That's yeah. <laughs> hey, you you've pretty much inspired me to make a trip up to Dale Hollow, you know, get some of that deep clear water and give it a shot. Oh, listen, uh, true story. Um, this is when I kind of first was releasing it. A guy had heard about it and um, from Dale, Dale Hollow. And he said, man, do you think it'll work out there? And I was like, yes, I promise you, if you've got fish out there, you can locate fish. If you got sections of the of the, of the the system that you know where the fish are, start practicing there first. Um, and he went out and bought some, called me up, and uh, he said, listen, in pre-fish, he had like some unbelievable weight. It was like 29 pounds of smallmouth or something. It was something unbelievable, okay? And I was, I was like, and those are all smallmouth? And he said, yeah. He said, you asked that question twice. Yes, that they're all smallmouth. I was like, holy smokes. Well, he didn't, I don't think he was that successful at tournament time because he never called back. But what I'm getting at is he had an epic, unprecedented day out there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was insane. So um, I already know that it works at least part-time <laughs> on Dale Hollow. Well, I, I was going to say, like, you know, aren't you supposed to stop after you catch a couple good fish and save those for the tournament day? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, yeah. hey, if you're having a day like that, you know, you <laughs> just got to you got to finish that out, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and I and I talked to guys about that, too. That's another reason why if you're practicing, you know, maybe have one bait that doesn't have the trouble hooks on it and then have one that does. And you get to an area. Let's just say you get to an area and they're just whacking the snot out of that that no hook version, you can then pick up the hook version and see what type of fish you have eating the bait and then, and then, and then, you know, rest your case and move on. Um, but the, the negative part of spy baiting is it's a light line presentation. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to throw a lot of nitrogen in that, in that fish's bloodstream because you're not going to get them in right away. Can't horse these fish in on 20 pound test. So you're playing and fighting these fish out and uh, they're going to fill up full of lactic acid, and pretty much that that's it. They're done. So you do want to be very conservative <laughs> when you're pre-fishing with it, for sure. Interesting. I, that's something I would never have thought of, but that makes sense because, you know, you wear that's why you wear them out, I guess. Yeah, the, yeah. And, the same and, way with the person running. You build up your lactic acid, and that kills you. So, yeah. Interesting. We used to call it, in track practice, we called it the bear, when the bear grabbed onto you. It was over. <laughs> Your legs started to swell, and you looked like you were trying to run, and you weren't going anywhere. Yeah, that, those. I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that kind of ties into you know you said you were real big on like fish behavior. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna have to have you back on sometime to talk more about that, like just specifically yeah. fish behavior. You know. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it really does intrigue me, and I I've, obviously I don't have all the answers, um, but. But it, de but it, I mean, it just, it really, it really does. It blows me away how uh, 
gifted these fish really are. And we forget it sometimes because they seem to be a simple animal. But I've watched fish do things that were unprecedented. Just my my two lenses, that, you know, no one else's, and just fun fishing. I've seen fish do things that I never thought they would do. Um, one, I'll give you one example. One time I was fishing in a farm pond, and I, I watched a two-pound bass <clears throat> race up on the shore, hit a blackbird in the chest, knock the blackbird on its back. And usually when birds get touched or or startled, they go into uh, a reflex and they just sit there and quiver as they're in shock. Sometimes they pull out of it and they fly away. Sometimes they don't. But you can startle them and they'll get this startle reflex and then they kind of stay in that mode. Well, anyways, this bass had seen this blackbird bathing in two inches of water, came rushing in and hit the, hit the bird in the chest, closed mouth. The bird fell on its back and started shaking because it was in shock. The bass turned around rolled up uh, and slid up on shore was in i mean was beached literally beached grabbed the bird fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hung onto its feet and started flopping back into the water. Now, it wasn't 20 feet offshore, but I mean, it was like, still, it was like two and a half feet from the water's edge, this bass was, <laughs> and had the bird by its feet and was flopping back and eventually got back in the water. And there was nothing I could do. I was just sitting there in awe and he pulled the he pulled the bird in the water and took off with it. True story. So yeah, they're, they're that would have been awesome to see. <laughs> oh, they're they're amazingly creative. They're amazingly creative. Yeah, I remember one time I was night fishing and uh and uh, I mean when I say night fishing, I had a flashlight. Um, now if my mom knew about this, she'd kill me. But I used to I used to ask her if I'd spend the night at a buddy's house, and uh and of course I would never let my son do this now, but um. My buddy would say, yeah, you could spend the night at my house. Well, his house was up below the, the, the farm pond that I was fishing. I'd hike up in the farm pond. I'd fish it all night long. <laughs> and, then I, and then I'd come down to his house, get on my bike, and then I'd ride back. And if my mom knew, <laughs> she would have probably died. But um, and I, I, the reason why I fished all night long is because I was afraid of the dark anyway. I didn't want to lay down and go to sleep. I thought something was going to eat me. But, uh, so but you I, go out to the, to the <laughs> pond where you know there's snakes that you can't see because it's yeah. dark. <laughs> yeah. yeah so so one night i was fishing i had a big old i don't know if you guys remember him but uh a jitterbug but it was a giant one almost like a musky jitterbug and the thing was just blop 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 and all of a sudden it was blop 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 and stopped um well and i didn't hear anything else no, no explosion and the next thing I, and this is in pitch dark i was just using the skylight uh for for reference when i was casting my line started going straight up and my rod tip started bending straight up. And I look at like this. I turn on my flashlight, and there's something up there with big wings that has my jitterbug in its talons. <laughs> so I pull on it, because that's the only jitterbug I had, by the way. And so I pulled on it, give me back my jitterbug. This great horn owl falls to the ground, lands, and those things are giant. I don't know if you've ever seen them in person, but they're not tiny little owls. They are mean. They're like stand like three feet tall, and it started hissing and 
and its beak was snapping together. And I still wanted my jitterbug, so I kept pulling <laughs> on it. And, it. and he had it in his talons. And then eventually he just let it go and flew away. He never got a hook in him. So oh, I, wow. I, I stayed in the fight as long as I could to get my jitterbug. <laughs> Who knows that's what I would awesome look story. like if he got really angry. <laughs> well, that's crazy. Well, uh, Sean, did you have any more questions or anything? Um, I, I can't think of any right now. But uh, yeah, dude, it, thanks so much for coming on. It's been awesome. Is there anybody you'd like to give a shout out to? Any? Uh, well, I, you know, again, I, I, I am your guys's fan. Uh, I, I'm giving you guys a shout out. Uh, your, your show, uh, Paddle and Finn. Um, but I think it's really, I think it's really important that you guys are doing this. Uh, there's a lot of anglers out there that. Um, they're done with the shock factor that goes on <laughs> in YouTube, and they really want to learn about fishing. So I think the the shows, and maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I think the shows that do cater to guys, uh, you really are helping a populace become better anglers. And, uh, you know, even even th th that's always been one of my commitments, um, going getting into the industry. I always said if I ever get to a place where I want to be in the industry, um, I want to give back that way. Uh um, when I was a tournament fisherman, you couldn't pry anything from me, <laughs> but, uh, but um, as a full-time tournament fisherman, but the more and more I see, there's a huge benefit. Conservation, one, um, just camaraderie, right? I mean, how many great people have you met in the industry? I know we got some pills in there too, but 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 really, you get to meet a lot of different people that share in the same passion. It goes across races. It goes across languages. It goes across continents it's um it's it's an amazing and I, I always say this um it's one of the best uh prescribed medicines that you could ever ever get from uh from your doctor so uh i i want to see that sport continue and and i'd love to see our bass fishing uh stay strong and so my hat goes off to you guys actually i appreciate that and like i 100 percent agree with uh what you were just saying you know i've thought that for a while now you know the country's like well country the world and the human yeah. race in general is just so divided and all about race and yeah. religion and politics and all all this stuff dividing us and it seems like you know if we're out there if i see you out there fishing you know it don't matter who you voted for it don't matter you know what the color of your skin is it don't matter you know who you worship it don't that, yeah. none of that matters it's like did you catch a fish you know what what's your biggest fish you caught today what are you catching them on and like that, yeah that, it's like brings people together it, it really does i mean i i can honestly say there's definitely folks that i would have probably never met being who i am where i travel what i do if it wasn't for fishing and, and, and I can say that, um, you know, like, just thank you. I mean, it, it really is. And we do, we have a lot of stuff. I, I won't get into the politicking, but we do, we have a lot of stuff that's challenging us, uh, this day and age and making us look internally. Um, but the one key thing I think we can come back to, I hate to say it, but we can come back to fishing when I, I was out, I was out just two days ago on the water and this guy rolled up next to me and I could tell the guy doesn't even live remotely like I do. He was a lot cleaner. Let me, I'm, a, I'm a messy fool, you know, and, and, this, and this guy looked polished. And I mean, just and we started talking about one thing, fishing. And we kind of shared little 
lures and techniques and 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 before you knew it, you know, a couple hours passed and we walked away. I may never see that guy again. I may never see him again, but um it, it's a powerful it it really is a powerful thing. I I I I introduced a technique. I'll tell you this real quickly and I'll let you guys go cuz you guys have you thank you for putting up with me. But uh it's been awesome. Uh, but I was I, I introduced a technique called flick shake, and you guys can go back and look at it. I was when I was with Jackal, um, I looked at that technique and actually um, started refining it a little bit too. Um, added some things to it, but um, went 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 back home to them and said, "Listen, can I name the technique flick shaking?" And we did, and it took off on the tournament circuit. Um, a lot of co anglers really adapted that finesse presentation. Well, one day I was out on 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 the Columbia River, and there's this man. I, I'm gonna guess he's probably 80 years old. And he had like four rods and reels laying on the bank, and he was fishing with one. And up above him was his motorhome. And I, I walk alongside him. I said, "Do you mind if I fish next to you?" And I, I was really trying to be courteous because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to intrude on him. But if he didn't mind me being there, maybe we could share in a conversation. And he started laughing at me, and I was like, "Well, golly, what's so funny?" And, He's like, you could come, you could stand right next to me all you want to. I've been here for three days and haven't caught a darn fish. So you could stand <laughs> right here all you want to. And, and we did, and we sat and talked for a little bit. Well, um, flick shaking, was a, it's a really good finesse technique, or it's jig head wacky fishing, as, as a lot of guys know it too. Um, I started catching the fish that were tight to, tight to the cover, and I started catching these fish right under his nose. And he just kept looking at me. And so finally I said, let me show you what I'm doing. So I grabbed one of his rods that would that would apply, cut off my bait, tied it on, showed him how to do the cadence. And within three or four casts, he started catching fish. Now, the funny part of the story is he's he I mean, this is an 80 something year old man. He looked like a six year old kid in the candy store. I mean, just elated, giddy about it. His wife comes out of the motorhome stands up on top of that little cliff that she was standing on. She says, I can't remember his name. I'm just going to call him Harold. She says, Harold, get up here and eat your lunch. <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, no, 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 I, I, I can't. She says, why not? And he says, I'm catching fish. She goes, yeah, right. And she goes back. <laughs> <into the motorhome. laughs> I think we all turn into that six year old kid when we catch a fish. At least I know I do, man. And oh, yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah. you're right. And I love, I, I mean, I, I don't know how many times I'll, I, I tell my wife, oh, I'm going to be leaving at this time. And then I'll I'll be pulling my kayak out up the boat ramp and somebody will stop and just ask me a question or, hey, that kayak's pretty cool. Can you tell me? And next thing I know, 45 minutes later, I'm calling the wife. I'm like, uh, I'm not going to be home on time. <laughs> <laughs> no, doubt, no doubt. Yeah. So so great sport. Like I said, it's the best medicine if you if you, you know, the, the guys and gals and, and young and old and whatever if you're feeling a little pain um things that we're going through uh, i recommend that you 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 cohabitate with guys that love to fish and some of that stuff just gets dissipated man and it doesn't become um the only thing that uh that tends to tear you apart so um i i get it i i honestly do from all sides um from all walks and fishing really does it has no boundaries man um i have people from South Africa, from Japan, um, other places that have flown out to fish with me, and some of them don't even speak a lick of English. I mean, it's just like one or two uh, sentences or, or words. You know, they say bathroom, and I know I got to get them to the bathroom as quick as I can. You know, <laughs> but we're there sharing um, in, in that experience, and and uh, I, I enjoy it just as much as they do. It's it, it's a brand new experience each time. So, definitely commend you guys for sure. 
Did you uh, have any social media you wanted to shout out where people can follow you and keep up with you? Yeah, you know, um, I keep getting like yelled at that I haven't started a YouTube channel. Um, so uh, I have uh, I have a I have one in place. Now it's getting the time and to do it, but it's called Angling Crew. I'm just telling guys, start subscribing now to it. Uh, I will eventually have content that will be flowing through there where I'm going to do some uh, educational stuff. Um, if you go to Dual International, uh, you'll see uh, a series of videos that I do called Lures in Motion. That's to focus on the lure motion of the, of, of the lure, so it gives guys a perspective about the, about the lure. Um, they're done quasi-entertainment value, but at least you get to look at that lure and say, ah, I see now why that crankbait – um, does what it does. Um, so I have a series of those out. I also have um, a series that I'm, I just heard that I'll be getting more called Advanced Lure Instruction. Um, and there's one on YouTube now called Jerkbaits. It's Jerkbait, Advanced Lure Instruction, Jerkbait 1, and Advanced Lure Instruction, Jerkbait 2. Um, both of those, uh, I think, can be helpful to some anglers on learning about uh, the idiosyncrasies to, to jerkbait fishing. And I slipped some stuff in there that may not, you know, be privy to, to many folks, too. Awesome. awesome. All right, man. Well, appreciate you coming on here once again. And, uh, yeah, everybody, uh, go uh, check out his videos. Check out Duo Realis. Uh, I can't wait to get mine and go out and try this. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> keep yeah keep me posted I'm, I, I i you know hit me up anytime your fans too if you guys have any questions i will try my best or, or your fans have any questions i'll try my best to um to to respond to them it's just my my facebook is just david swinside i think it says that, dual reals on there I, something like that that sounded yeah, really yeah. weird to me said, said our fans like like I'm, I'm a nobody okay I'm, I'm just sitting here at the house you know talking to people yeah, we, we we got listeners. We got listeners. <laughs> yeah, I'll take fans. You got fans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, good luck uh, to your show, and then uh, scream at me anytime, you guys, if I can be of any help, for sure. And thanks for putting up with me. Awesome. It was awesome oh, having you. Great, man. Yeah. All right, so, take care, you guys. All right, gotta, all right. You were gonna do the uh, you gonna take it. I was gonna ask you wanted me to do the outro since you brought it in this time. Go ahead, man. All right, now it's been Bass Fish for Noobs, bringing you the techniques, tips, and tricks to help you rip more lips. Nailed it, buddy. See you guys. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle in Finn. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Finn. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Finn on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler Button, and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. 
Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in Northern Illinois for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. TRC Covers, protect your investment. Catch Products, shout out to Catch Products. Go to catchproducts.com and put the Paddle in Fin logo directly on your catch board. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs, when in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com, use promo code PNF20 and save 20% on all your jig and tackle needs. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.